In Torah and T, this week's portion, of course, the beautiful story always we read about the spies. I mean, there's a lot of questions and a lot of uh, things that are not understood on the uh, very simple level. And also, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, God gave him a choice, basically, and he said, um, you know, you decide. <laughs> Since when? Does God let it up to Moshe to decide? He says, you decide. You know, I told you it's a good land. You don't have to send the spies there. And um, you decide various different interpretations that they were looking how it's easier and uh, to, uh, uh, to, to conquer the land. How is it that all the, you know, prestigious and the distinguished the leaders, they all made a mistake. Anyways, so this is the whole story, and as we read, and today I'll give over a little bit from, uh, first part, we'll give over a little bit from the Sicha in volume 18, number 3. And we'll concentrate on a very specific uh, part of the story in which uh, Kolev and Yeshua are responding to the people. You know, there were 12 uh, scouts that went to scout the land. But out of the 12, 10 of them went along with the plan to badmouth, basically, detour, detour the Jews from going into Israel. And two of them stood out in defending the land of Eretz Yisrael. And, of course, you have to understand that it is very hard to resist the pressure when you have so many people going along with this plan to stand up against all the pressure and to do what's right. This is one of the most difficult things that people have is how do you stand strong uh, when you know that's right, what's good and what's truth. How do you stand up for that in the face of so much pressure that you have that people exert on you. In this case, you had 10 great righteous uh, people saying one way, and they stood up, and they said the other way. So what did they say? So in verse 8, they say it like this. If God wants us, he will bring us to this land, and he will give it to us, the land that flows with milk and honey. But he says in verse 9, he says, but don't rebel against God. Don't rebel. And then, as Rashi explained, then you won't have to fear the people because they are like our bread. They no longer have their protection. Their protection has been removed from them. God is with us. Do not fear them. So basically, they're saying, and as Rashi explains this, if you are not going to rebel against Hashem, he's talking about generally now. He's not saying to them, uh, you know, you'll be able to go into the land. He's just giving them a general uh, 
reason why not to fear. It would seem, you know, when we read the verses, everybody was in agreement that the people there were powerful people. That wasn't an issue. That's not the question. We find before, uh, when they came back with the report, they said, the people that are sitting in the land are a strong people. The cities are fortified, and there are also giants over there. So they didn't make up. This was true. It was true that the people there were very strong people, and they were the children of the giants, and the cities were fortified. He asked them to, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said, check it out. And they check it out, and they say that it's true. But they come back and they say, well, we inspected the land. It's a land that consumes its inhabitants. All the people we saw there were people of giant, huge, people of measure, meaning big people. Now, Kalev and Yehoshua did not dispute the findings of the other ten spies. They did not dispute it. They didn't say, uh, no, that's not true. Uh, they're not so big. They're not so strong. So what gives them the right we don't find that Joshua and Caleb gave reason not to fear them. So why did they say, don't rebel against Hashem? Why don't they say something to contradict? And why, why should they not fear them? You know, even we find that the next day, uh, when the Jewish people, after Hashem punished them, and the other people said, no, 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 now we're ready to go. Moshe Rabbeinu said, don't go, because you'll be beaten by the people over there. Don't go. And they were. So the issue that we have over here, why not fear them? How could you not fear them? And the answer lies in these words. This is what he told them. Basically, what he said to them, what they said to the Jewish people is, if you don't rebel against Hashem, in other words, when Hashem says you go to the land of Israel, you go along with Hashem, then you have nothing what to fear the, the, the people. There is nothing what to fear the people. Because if Hashem is in your side, then it doesn't matter that the other people are strong. It doesn't matter that they are in fortified cities it doesn't matter that naturally it seems like they're a powerful nation. They're people of measure. They're giants. It doesn't matter. Why? Because as long as you don't rebel against Hashem. Which, and he says it in a general way. We're not saying go to the land of Israel. It's the point over here is go and follow the plan that Hashem has. 
if you don't rebel against Hashem, then you have no reason to be afraid. Now, he gives another reason. He says, for they are our bread. You know, a lot of times we find that um, people are giving, like Israel, advice, you know, you know, give them back, give away the territory, see territory. Um, everybody is, has um, ideas. But if you live over there and that's your home, you don't have anywhere else to go. You have a very limited amount of, of places to go. And sometimes you have to fight because you have no choice. I mean, look now, uh, when you look in Lahavda, look into Ukraine. They have, no cho- they have no choice but to fight because they're trying to take away their land from them. So even though uh, sometimes you're afraid or you wouldn't want to start up with a giant, you wouldn't want to start up with the strong people, and but you have no choice. So one could interpret it, oh, this is our bread, meaning bread is an essential, at least in the Gemara, you know, today bread is despised because it gives you all the carbs. But uh, but in the olden days, bread was a staple. That's what people ate to sustain themselves. The whole meal, every food is called like bread. So one interpretation would be, oh, there are bread, which means they're essential to us, like bread is essential to the person. But Rashi doesn't say so, because Rashi says bread over here means, you know, like people would say, oh, this is like a piece of cake. You know, this is so easy, like very, I mean, it's like bread, meaning it's like very simple. But there's a special connotation in bread, which Rashi has talked about before uh, in the previous Parsha when the Jewish people were complaining they don't have food, they don't have, uh, they only get the manna, they don't have uh, meat, they don't have uh, bread, you know, or they don't have normal food. So over there, Rashi says that bread, when a person is asking for bread, that is a proper request because people need bread to sustain themselves. Asking for meat, you know, that's already like asking for extras, you know. You don't need meat in order to uh, to sustain yourself. Um, and therefore Rashi says that God gave them bread with basically with a smiling face. He gave them in a, in a dear way, in a gave it in the morning, when it's easy, when it's good. That's what Rashi said earlier. The Rebbe reads into this Rashi that what is meant over here is don't be afraid of the people because not only you're not rebelling against Hashem, you have nothing to be afraid, but on top of that, it's going to be easy for us. And the Ebrister, Hashem's love and our special relationship and a special dearness that we have 
is going to be strong as long as you go along with the plan of Hashem and you don't rebel, then it's not only going to be in a way that you're not going to be afraid, but it's going to be in a way um, that it's going to be like in a, in, a, in a dear way. Hashem is going to take you and help you in a beyond the natural way as they were able to conquer the land of Eretz Yisrael. Um, and then Rashi also brings down two interpretations what it says their shadow has been removed from them. In the Hebrew, Sar Tzilam Me'alehem Their shadow. In other words, their protector. Their strength. Sort of the nations, even in the land of Canaan, had sort of a protection. That protection has been removed from them. Who are they talking about when he says that their their shadow, their protection has been removed from them? So Rashi gives here two commentaries. One, Rashi says, there were some uh, righteous amongst the Canaanite people. One of them was Job. He was living amongst them. And his merit sort of was a protection of them. But what he was saying, that that shadow, that protector, that strength uh, in the form of Job, of Yav, Yav, he has passed away already. So they no longer have, the righteous amongst them have gone, so they no longer have that protection. That's one interpretation. And another interpretation, they say, another interpretation says that their protection came actually from Hashem. Hashem has removed His protection from them. Uh, one of them is that their protection from amongst them, and the other one is uh, from the uh, Hashem, that Hashem protects them, has been removed. So, so yeah, go ahead, what? When you say that Yob lived among the Canaanites, yeah. is it the Canaanites that lost the protection? The righteous among yes, the Canaanites? Yes, not only the Canaanites, those are the people that lived at the time in the land of Israel. It was basically the seven nations or 31 nations that we read in the later on in in Joshua, so their protection is the protection of the people that lived in uh, in the. I said Canaanite as the general name. I'm not sure exactly, but he lived over there, according to this interpretation of Rashi. And at that period of time, he has died, so they no longer have that protection. So my other question is, why were the Jews the next day told by Moshe that don't bother going in, you're not going to win? If they were, in a sense, doing teshuva, that yes, we do believe we can take this land. Yeah, but uh, the the point is that Hashem has, again, uh, instructed them that they need to stay in the desert for 40 years. That was the punishment. Mm -hmm. They can't override and say, I mean, you do teshuva, you have to do it within the boundaries, but they can't override 
uh, you know, Hashem's uh, command. Hashem told them that they should uh, stay in the desert, and then they wanted to go without Hashem, without the Ark, without Moshe, without the people, just on their own. And that's that's a very important point itself. People like cannot rely just on their own strength. It, we, like we said, you can't rebel against Hashem, then you have nothing what to fear. But if you rebel against Hashem, which means you're going against Hashem, and you can't do teshuva by going against Hashem. If Hashem says to you, now don't go, that teshuva right now, that's not the right thing to do. You can't just say, I'm going to do teshuva, even though Hashem says not to do so, I'm still going to do it. So that wasn't the right thing for them to do at that point. And um, uh, generally speaking, over here, this is a whole, Rebbe discusses a very whole philosophical issue over here, uh, we're talking about the protection that Hashem has also for the non-Jews. Because it says their shadow or their protection has been removed, which means that ordinarily up to that time there was a protection from them from Hashem. And, you know, the uh, question uh, is debated whether... Uh, non-Jews are like a natural phenomenon as the whole world is created in nature and they don't have any special, uh, specific supervision uh, from Hashem in a way of a shade, in a way of a protection. But just like everything else in the world is nature and that hashgacha pratit, that specific supervision is something which is specific for uh, Jewish people. Or, as we see in this second commentary of Rashi, that they also have some form of protection. They have a shade and it's taken a shadow and it's been taken away. So that's a whole uh, philosophical and halachic and a whole uh, uh, disagreement in the... Um, the commentaries, the Rambam and the Ravid, and the Rebbe has a long talk about it. But let's move on now to uh, another. If we were supposed yep. to conquer them, God what? would have. If we were supposed to, if if the twelve were in agreement that we yes we can take the land, then we had gone in. No, ten. If they were okay, then God's protection of of the people we're supposed to conquer, we wouldn't want to be there. It wouldn't be there anyways. I don't think that hinges one way or the other. That that did not that did not change. Uh, they was removed, but this was their argument that they were trying to convince the others, the Jewish people. And unfortunately, the Jewish people went along with the uh, twelve, with the majority, and they didn't want to go up, and therefore they were punished to stay forty years in the desert. But the fact that the protection was removed, that's regardless. If they decided they were going to go, then they would be able to conquer them anyways. It was just a matter mm-hmm. who that they were just giving now. At this point, the Jews went along with the majority that argued that they won't be able to do so. And then eventually, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to God because God wanted to, first of all, to destroy them. And this is already in the... Uh, 
other sichan in 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 in, in, in uh, volume eighteen. This is um, um, the fourth sicha over there. When Moshe Rabbeinu prayed, he used the language. He says in verse seventeen, he prayed for the Jewish people. After that, he says, "Ato yigdal no koach Let the power of Adonai, uh, of Hashem's name, increase, as you have said. So what does it mean? Usually we know the word Adonai represents master, how God is the master of the world. That's the meaning of the word Adonai, like master. When we want to ask Hashem to increase His compassion, we use the name Hashem, Yudke Vavke. That's the name of Rachamim. That's the name of compassion. Uh, so if Moshe Rabbeinu was praying to Hashem for compassion for the Jewish people, uh, why did he use that let the name of uh, Adnai increase? Why didn't he say let the name of Hashem increase? Uh, and then he says, Erechapayim, he uses the standard, uh, God prolongs his anger. What does it mean the name of Adnai should become great? What does it mean the name Adnai should become great? And Rebbe gives an interesting explanation. Now, we see like in the desert, there was all kinds of miracles. Okay? Uh, all kinds of miracles in the desert. They had the manna, they had the water, everything was miracles. So the uh, spies and uh, the other, they convinced the Jewish people and they said like this. They said, we cannot go up to that people. Why? Because they say, Ki chazak hu mimenu, because he is stronger than him. Who do they mean when they say that he's stronger than him? They were basically saying that they're stronger from Hashem. What does that mean? What does that mean that they said that they're stronger than Hashem? It's not like that they didn't believe that Hashem is the master and Hashem created everything and that Hashem is in charge of everything. No, that's not what they disagreed. But the idea was that the people, while they were in the desert, the desert doesn't have a set rules. Things don't go in an organized and a set rules. It's a desert. It's a deserted place. So over there, the argument is, God can do miracles. God can show uh, various kinds of ways of survival because it's not in the natural place. But then God created nature. That's also part of Hashem's creation. When we deal with nature, over there we have to follow nature. We, we can't, we don't have a choice to, 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 to say, no, we're going to, do things out of the ordinary. In nature, it's as if saying, 
God himself restricted himself to nature. If nature says that these are stronger people, then they're stronger than Hashem. Hashem cannot take them us out from there because it's as if to say Hashem made it in such a way, restricted himself, that he shouldn't be able to do something. You know, they used to always ask a question, you know, of kids, this was uh, in the yeshiva, they say, a God can do everything. Okay, so the question was, can God create such a heavy stone that he should not be able to pick up? It should be so heavy that he can't raise. Can he create something that he, in other words, can God restrict himself so that he becomes restricted that he, yes, who made up that restriction? He himself. But can God cre- make up a restriction that restricts him so that he can, so to speak, be bound by that restriction? And this is the argument, what they said. When God creates nature and God creates things that work in a organized way, that is a restriction that God placed. That comes from God. And he sort of ties his own hands it doesn't allow for him to change that. You have to go along with the nature. And this is the argument. They're saying the people are stronger than him, meaning they're stronger than him of being able to change those limitations and those boundaries that Hashem himself has put into place. He can't change that. But the truth of the matter is that's a false argument. Because the answer is God cannot create something that he cannot do because God can do anything. And there is no restriction that restricts God. Even though that God creates it, it is still not something that he is bound by. God can go beyond all the restrictions. So what is the language over here, Adnai? Adnai means master. They basically, in essence, they said that God's master uh, over the world is only to a certain extent, but not beyond the restriction. That means that they blemished the name of Adnai, the power of Adnai. They put restrictions on it, and they said that he can only go that far. So in order to make up for that, Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, yigdal no koach adnai. Let the power of adnai increase. In other words, let there be seeing that there is no restriction at all in the power of Hashem. And it's a very important lesson for us in the Zohar, Rabbi quotes there, says that while in many ways, all people are the same, and we don't see a distinction, the connection between a Jew and God on a revealed on a uh, revealed way. But yet, there are special relationships and special distinctions between a Yid's relationship and Hashem and the rest of the world. And therefore. We stand out 
in nature, within nature, the restrictions of nature apply to all creation, but restrictions of nature do not apply to a Jew, especially when it comes to the service of Hashem. There is no nature that can stop a Jew from his obligation of his service to Hashem. So a Jew is not restricted by nature. It really brings down, and there was once a, a interesting story that the Rebbe quotes there. There was a diamond dealer. There was a very, very di- di- important and rich diamond dealer who was once together with the Rebbe. He was also a great uh, follower, a chassid. And, and the Rebbe was saying, you know, the simple folks, the people who say Amen, Yehesh, Merabba, they answer Amen, they say Tehillim, they do mitzvah with feelings, even though they're simple, they're not learned, they don't know anything, they don't understand, they're just following with simple faith, simple Amunah, the Rebbe, the Rebbe Nishmasei, and the Rebbe Rashab praised them to a great extent. And this diamond dealer, his name was Ramonia Monasuzan, he says to the Rebbe, I don't see, I don't see that. The Rebbe is saying how great and how special and how uh, profound they are. He said, I don't see, I don't see what the Rebbe sees about these simple people. And then, so the Rebbe says to him, look, you have a, you have a packages of diamonds all rolled up in a nice tight bag. Why don't you show me your diamonds? So he goes and opens, unknots the, 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 the handkerchief or whatever he keeps from in there, puts it out on the table. And then it comes to one specific diamond. He says, Rebbe, this is one of a kind. This is something so unique. This is something so special. This is like so valuable. He just praises it. And the Rebbe says to him, I don't see it. I don't see what you're saying is so valuable. So he turns to the Rebbe. Ah, Rebbe. He says, you got to be a maven. You got to be somebody who understands in diamonds, <laughs> to be able to understand and see the value of this diamond. You can't just, uh, oh, the Rebbe said, so you see, you have to be a maven in order to appreciate uh, what diamond it is. So you got to be a maven and a Jew in order to appreciate the specialty because he said he didn't see. So, you know, the Rebbe says, I don't see the diamond because you're not a maven and, the, and a Jew. So therefore, if you're a maven, then you have a very deep appreciation. And that means that the Yidin stand out, whether they're learned or they're not so learned, they're distinguished, they're not so distinguished, still, they always have that, that special thing. And therefore, they always deserve the blessings of Hashem. And... Um, we hope to see Hashem's blessing in the revealed way. And um, I think we'll uh, leave it over here. And uh, hopefully Mr. Shem will meet everybody again in the uh, coming week. Anybody want to make any comments? Welcome to hear or listen. Um.
Um, my only comment or question is, um, it seemed that Moshe was asking in the beginning of the Parsha, the spies, you know, tell us the truth, good, bad, you know, like he was like really laying it out there uh, almost for them to, you know, like, you know, trip on themselves, you know, if they were going to be truthful and honest. He, he really asked for it. So I just want to know why it was so that Moshe asked for the honest opinion of the spies in the way he did. Yeah, so th- there, were, there are various different um, interpretations on it. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, you know, basic interpretations are that Moshe Rabbeinu did not ask for an opinion, he just asked for facts. And they came back with a conclusion, you know, oh, we won't be able to go up and we won't be able to do that. And, you know, there are various reasons given, like we've spoken about here, they didn't think that they wanted to go into Israel because they'd have to work the land, they didn't think that in nature they can work things. But uh, the main error was... uh, they were not authorized to give an opinion. They were authorized to come and give back the facts. The other thing is also, they were told, just like when you're going to conquer somewhere, you need to have a plan. So Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know the plan. Where it wasn't a question is if we are going. There's no question. Question was how, and they took it. Oh, we can't. So that that was that was not even the issue. There was no question that they're going to Israel. And they took it to the next step. And, and this is what happens about Loshan Hara. Sometimes you say directly something negative about someone. And everybody knows, oh, that's Loshan Hara. You're saying something bad. But sometimes you say even something nice about somebody. And that is also Loshan Hara. If you start uh, praising someone with something which is not true, so let's say you say, oh, this person is very charitable. So then the other person will pipe up and say, that's not true. He never gives a penny for charity. So even though I said that he's charitable, I didn't say that. But you brought about uh, the other people saying bad. Sometimes you can even say good things. Oh, they're good and everything else. But you bring this fruit and you say, wow, look at this fruit. But there is a connotation over there. Oh, the fruits are strange, the people are strange. So then you are actually causing by your report to dissuade the people from going. So A, they weren't asked for an opinion, and B, certainly they weren't authorized to go ahead and make the heart of the rest of the Jewish people faint so that they won't want to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael. So that was that. But of course they had their own some of their own reasonings and uh, why they didn't want to go to Israel. But of course, if Hashem says you go to Israel, you go to Israel. <laughs> there's no, there's no, if what's in hands. And, uh, and like the Pasuk says, go with Hashem, Hashem will protect you. The fact that sometimes it appears that, you know, sometimes bad things happen to good people, you think you're going with Hashem, doesn't mean we can explain everything. But just because we can't explain everything, uh, we're going to, we don't know the whole story. You know, there's a lot more behind the story. You know, you know I, I, in my own rationalization, you can always find reason 
that this is maybe the best outcome for that person. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes a person has accomplished their mission in life. Now, their wife and children, why should they suffer? But that's the destiny of, of different people. And we don't know what is in one's best interest. You know, we see just a very small part of it. We don't know what's going on behind the curtain. And uh, we just pray to Hashem that we should only see revealed and open goodness, not hidden. That we should be able to celebrate only happiness and good occasions. And hopefully we will all have that experience and Mashiach will come and uh, we'll go into Eretz Yisrael. We have enough We've been enough uh, outside of Eretz Yisrael, you know, and um, 